So, uh, this is the final sermon in our series, In His Image. And throughout this whole series, we've been taking a look at uh, kind of how we're made. Like, right, how did God make us, and what's that like, and what, why did he make us this way is one of the questions we're going to ask today. But, but we've learned kind of at least how we're made so far, right? One of the things that I presented is that we're a three-part being. We are a spirit Right? We have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body, right? And our body's just this earth suit that we're in temporarily. It doesn't last forever. And we've learned kind of God's uh, design and plan for those things where, right, uh, the default state for our spirit is unfortunately that because of sin, it's, we're spiritually dead when we come into this world. But through believing in Jesus and forgiveness, that we can be born again, right? Born of the Spirit. So that's one of the things that we do with our spirit, right? In terms of our soul, Romans 12 talks about that we should uh, not be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of our mind, right? So that, that God wants us to change our old ways of thinking. He wants us to, to think more like him, to be free in our thought life and in our emotions, right? That our, our, our way of thinking, our way of, of living, uh, is going to be changed as a result of encountering who Jesus is and, and in reading the word. And more recently, we've talked about our bodies, right? That our bodies are temporary. They don't last forever. Uh, unfortunately, our bodies and, and sinful nature is always going to be at war against our spirit, right? And the, the strategy was to not literally, but to put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? So that we could be free from them. And eventually, the good news is that we get a new body at the, the last day, the resurrection of the dead, uh, right? When we go to heaven, we get a new body uh, that it's like Jesus's resurrected, glorified body. So that's really good news. So, so that's kind of the, the way God's designed us, the way he's engineered us. But what we're going to talk about today is, is why, right? Why does he give us all of these parts? Why did he make us this way? What was his purpose in doing so? And, and the answer to that question is already given to you up on the screen, right? It's to love the Lord, okay? That's one of the things that, that he's called us to do, okay? And, uh, and so we're going to take a look at a, a few passages. Um, the majority of what we're going to be reading is in Mark 12. And actually, if you're interested in a Bible, I'm going to put Ben on the spot that if you raise your hand, Ben can give you a Bible. They're from like down behind the, 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 the stand right there. Uh, and I've already got them bookmarked in, in Mark 12. Uh, and we're going to read a couple passages from Mark 12, and I'm reading them kind of in reverse order. That's not like some satanic way to read the Bible, just so you know. Uh, it just kind of made more sense in terms of the flow. There were two separate stories, okay? So it's not like I'm doing anything weird there. But, uh, but yeah, so we're going we're gonna to read from there, and I've got it up on the screen for you as well. You're welcome to use your phone or a tablet or, or old school Bible. That's all fine, and you can underline and highlight and color. And, uh, and this, is, uh, this is one of the things we'll see is that that Jesus, when he would pass through villages, when he'd come to towns, when he'd be in Jerusalem, when he'd be at the temple, people would ask him questions, right? People would just like find out, oh, Jesus, what do you think about this, right? Like they'd ask questions, right? They, they, they would call him rabbi or teacher, right? That some, sometimes people would be pursuing uh, wisdom from him. Sometimes people would just ask weird questions. They'd be like, Jesus, my brother's not sharing the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, what do I have to do with that? Like he's just kind of confused, like, like, what do I have to do with your inheritance deal? I don't understand. Uh, and, then, and then in some instances, there were people who were anti-Jesus, who were against him, who were trying to trap him in his words, like maybe we can get him to say something publicly, right, that we can, you know, get him arrested for or, you know, get him to lose his crowd or whatever because they were jealous or whatever the case may be. So here, here's the first question that we're going to look at, and this is, this is the idea where someone asks him, uh, Mark 12, verse 28, 
It says, and one of the scribes, all right, one of these religious guys came up and heard them disputing with one another, right, and seeing that he answered them well. So he was already in the middle of answering questions. And he asked him this question, which commandment is the most important of all? So he was interested, like, what's the most important thing I need to do? Right? What, what's the most important commandment? Now, we don't know the motives of this questioner. Uh, we don't know why he was asking. Maybe, maybe he was just thinking like, man, I'm like messing up real bad in my life. I just like broke like a bunch of commandments. Maybe I can just like, if Jesus just gives me like one, maybe I'll get this figured out. Like, just simplify it for me, Jesus. I want to at least get like one gold star when I, you know, get to heaven. Like, what, 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 I, what do I do? What's, what's the one thing I could, just give me one. Just give me one, okay? And, uh, and so that might be what he was asking for. He might have just also been interested in, in what uh, Jesus would answer to that question. What was priority? What was of most importance, right? So, uh, so that's one of the things he, he ends up asking. One of the things I'll point out that Jesus doesn't answer this question and say, oh, uh, no, none of them are. They're, you don't have to worry about those. Uh, the commandments aren't real, all that important. I mean, you just kind of, God doesn't really have an opinion about anything. He's just ambiguous. We can just, like, you do your thing, they'll do their thing, I'll do my thing, and it's all cool. Like, at the end of the day, it's all good. Uh, God doesn't really care what you do in your life. That's not what he said. Like, God does have opinions about things, and it, and it matters how we respond and react to them. A, a lot of people might also think that Jesus' response to this question is what's commonly referred to as the golden rule, right? And that's actually not the answer to this question, all right? But, but it's called the golden rule. That sounds really important, but the Bible doesn't call it the golden rule. Uh, the Bible calls it the second greatest commandment, the one that you're thinking of, to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but that's not his answer, okay? That's not what he said was the greatest commandment, okay? So, so this is what he says in verse 29, I've got it up there. It says, Jesus answered, the most important is, and he's quoting from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Okay, I've got the verses on the back of the, the handout if you want to look it up. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the first thing Jesus points out in this commandment, they were like paired together with one commandment, is pointing out that God is one. There's, there's this one God, right? He is, he is one God, one entity, right, that, that God is. And, and that doesn't change between Old Testament and New Testament, uh, right? Jesus is reaffirming this truth, right? Although there is the Trinity, right? God is the triune God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? We see evidence of that in both New and Old Testament. But God is still one God. We don't serve like the moon God and the sun God and like the rain God or the God of the harvest or whatever. Right? Like there's, there's one God, this loving God who's the creator of all things, right? who is righteous and holy and pursues us in love and wants relationship with us. Right? That's the God that he's referring to. And in terms of this God, this is what Jesus said, is that you shall love the Lord your God. Right? That's kind of like a weird commandment, like, it's not like God is like just some like needy, desperate person, like, love me, please, guys, come on, right? Like, he's, he doesn't need some sort of affirmation from us. He doesn't, uh, in fact, there's nothing that God actually needs from us. It says that, we might look at that later on in Acts uh, when we hit that series later, but, but yeah, God doesn't need anything from us, right? So, the, the love command, it, it, fortunately, this is an easy person to love. Like, God is the, the most lovable person that we could ever think of, right? I mean, in terms of all 
of creation in the universe. God, God is it. Like he's, he should be the easiest one to ever love because he is so selfless and sacrificing and loving himself. I mean, a harder commandment is when Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Now that's, that's like, oh man, like, oh man, can we, like, at least it wasn't like one of the top, it wasn't the top commandment, I suppose, but, but it's still something that we should, we should do. But this is the idea is that, that the purpose for which we have been made is to love God, to have relationship with God, right? That's the purpose that God has, has made us. And, and what he's saying, he's summarizing here, right, is that every part of us should be used in love of God. Every, everything about us is designed and made so that we can have relationship with God, right? The intent is so that we can love him, right? So with all of our spirit, all of our soul, all of our body, right? And I realize that's not the language that this said here, right? This listed four things, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. The Hebrew kind of gave these as examples, They're not synonymous with the New Testament Greek of spirit, soul, and body. Uh, So I do want to point that out that they're a little bit different. But but perhaps we could say, you know, the heart is is a little bit of our spirit, right? Uh, With all your soul and your mind, that's that's our soul realm, right? Mind, will, and emotions. And with all your strength, we could maybe fit that into the category of our body, right? All of our effort, our energy, our resources uh, is how we're supposed to love God. So... So we are to, to use all of our capacities and energy and everything that we are in loving relationship with God, right? That's, that's why he gave us all this, right? Like that's, that's the purpose for which he, he made us. And, and one of the things I'd point out is that, right, he, he gives us all of these things and in all of these ways, we should love God. Now, typically, I would say you might naturally uh, be able to communicate or, or share in your love or be passionate about your love and maybe one of those areas more than others, okay? And, that, and that's probably normal, all right? Where, uh, you know, you might just be more of a, a, an emotionally driven person where you, right, during worship or something, you might be passionate about singing music to God, right? That you're emotionally connecting with God in the way that you love him, right? That's a good thing, right? Or you might be uh, emotionally connecting with God, uh, in, in the way that you, you pray and pursue him, right? That you spend time with him during the week. Or that you're, as an emotionally driven person, you might be someone who is passionate about the things that God is passionate about. Or maybe he lays a burden on your heart for the people that he loves that don't yet know him, right? That you are emotionally connecting in your relationship with God in the way that you love him. Right now, I'm, I'm one that tends to be maybe more in the category of mind, where like, I just love just studying God's word. I love connecting verses and like analyzing them and, and just discovering more and more about who God is in the way that he's uh, most frequently and best perhaps revealed himself to us, which is through his word, right? So I, I, I just love that. I just get all into studying the Bible, right? That's something that comes, comes easier for me, right? Or maybe you're someone that's just like, no, 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 like I'm not, you know, I'm not all emotional. I'm not all studious, like I'm just going to love God real simple. Like, I'm just, I just love God with my strength. You know, I go to work. I work as under the Lord. I provide for my family, right? I give my resources to God's kingdom, right? I just, I serve God with my energy, my strength, and my being, right? That, that might be the way that you best serve God. But the point is here that, that even though you might prefer to show your love to God or, or ne- more naturally it just comes to you one way, is that we can't neglect the other areas, 
right? That we should actually learn to love God in those other, other ways, right? Just because like, you know, someone might be like, no, I'm more reserved, you know, like not that you have to like raise your hand during worship or jump around and dance or sing, like, but like find a way to emotionally pursue and love and connect with God, right? Whatever, whatever that might look like for you. Or, or it would be wrong for me to only love God with my mind and just like have it just be like some theological exercise that I go through, but then I never act on that, right? Like if, if I never actually like put my strength to anything, like that I'm just like lazy when it comes to like obeying God, right? Or if I'm lazy when it comes to doing things, right, to, to bring him glory and for his kingdom and to proclaim his truth and to share his love with this world, right? It wouldn't be right for me to only choose to love God in, in one particular way. So that's the idea is that, that all of us, all of you, right, whether you want to call it, right, spirit, soul, and body or, or mind, soul, right, heart, man, I'm, now I've said it in the wrong order, and strength, I got them all. I got, I got four. Okay, I'm good. Right, that use all of who you are to love God. All right, and, and, that, and that's kind of like a weird thing, like to think of it like that's the greatest commandment is a commandment of relationship. And that, that's the whole idea that God has for us is that he, 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 it's this religion, right, this Christianity or whatever, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship with God, right? The most important thing is our pursuing him and, and having a relationship with him. That's that's the idea. And then everything else just follows after that. So that's, that's what I would point out. And, uh, and like I said earlier, I would also point out that the, the greatest commandment was not the golden rule, right? I, w- I would have called this, this should be the golden rule. That one should be the silver rule, maybe, right? Of, of like, yeah, like love your neighbor as yourself. That is not the greatest commandment. Right? So, so sometimes people are just like, no, 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 like, I'm just going to love my fellow man and, and just like, I ignore God, I leave him out of the picture. That would actually be ultimately offensive to God. Right? You, 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 a person with that mentality would be breaking the greatest commandment. And actually, they won't even be able to sufficiently love their fellow man without the love of God being able to work through them in a genuine way. Right? I mean, sure, like through some effort and attempt, they might be able to do something, but it won't be the way that God's intended us to, right? So in terms of priority, we love Jesus first and then our neighbor, right? So, so like, I'm not ever going to, well, I hope not, or we shouldn't anyway, go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I'm sorry, but like, my neighbor finds you offensive, Jesus, right? They don't like the things that you say, right? So I'm going to choose to prioritize loving my neighbor the way that they think they want to be loved rather than loving you first, right? That's not the way that it should go. Right? Because, and, and in loving our neighbor the way that God wants us to love them is actually going to be more genuine in love of our neighbor anyway. Right? So, so just so you're aware. But yeah, so the, the greatest commandment is not uh, to love our neighbor as ourself. But we should do that anyway. Okay? It comes out of our relationship with God. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at, at John chapter 14 where Jesus talks about love and he, 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 he makes a couple points in this passage. They're kind of like all interwoven in here, so I'll try to pull them apart separately. But the first point that I want to make from this passage is that God reveals himself to those who love him. All right, just like a friendship that you have, you don't like instantly just share all of your secrets and your past like with someone you just met on the street. But as that relationship goes on, you might be more willing to, you know, tell them the things that you're passionate about, right? Share with them some of your dreams or your visions or whatever, right? You might have that, 
that God reveals himself to those who love him. Here's John 14. Jesus said this at the Last Supper the day before he died. This is what he said. Uh, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, right? He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right, that word manifest, maybe you don't use that all the time, but to manifest means to, to make real, to, to reveal, to show, to appear, to disclose. So Jesus is making this statement that, right, who, he who loves me, I will love him and I will reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to that person, the person who loves me, right? The person who also obviously links in, you know, keeping his commandments there. But, but I would point out that this is not like the order that we would prefer. Uh, not that this is directly an if-then statement. It's more of like a both-and statement. I see the and right there. Like both of these things kind of happen simultaneously, right? right? The Bible says that if, if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Right, that if, if you seek, you will find. So I, I mean, in my experience, I don't know if it's similar for you guys, that like, you just kind of start like pursuing God and you realize he makes himself real to you as that happens. It's like a simultaneous thing. The thing that we would rather have is like, all right, God, you like show me a sign, like prove yourself 10 times over to me and then maybe I'll start loving you and, and maybe I'll start obeying you. Right, that's what we would prefer uh, but that's not actually how it, how it works, which is interesting, right? That, in, in fact, God reveals himself to us. He makes himself real to us, right? I'm talking about this in a very literal sense that he will make himself real to you as you step out and begin to love him and obey him. All right, like guarantee, like this is like promise of God right here. This is how it works. And I know that we typically would rather have like more evidence. Jesus told this little story uh, And to summarize it, this is one of the things that he said about, um, in terms of people wanting more evidence. Verse 31 in Luke 16, I don't believe I have it up there. It says, he said this, uh, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Right? If, If it's not sufficient evidence for someone to start stepping out towards God, to love God, to repent of their sin, repentance is actually the context here, uh, that they... Right? If, if, if it's not sufficient for them to believe what Moses wrote, right? if, they, if they don't believe prophecy from the Old Testament that's historically verified, right? that's written hundreds of years before Jesus came and we see the Messiah come and fulfill over 300 of these prophecies, if, like, if that's not enough evidence for you, it's not going to be enough evidence for you even if you saw someone raised from the dead. And like, what's cra- like I know we're like, no, 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 but, but like, if I saw like a sign like, or a miracle like, I would believe, though, then, right? I absolutely would, right? You know? Or, like, the people that Jesus was speaking to, they were probably like, I don't know if that's true. I, don't, I think if I saw someone raised from the dead, I would believe. But what's interesting is, you know, but a short time after this, Jesus actually died and rose from the dead, and many people in Jerusalem and Israel did not repent and believe. Right? Even though the evidence was there for them. Even though the miracles were being done, people still would walk away from Jesus. People would still turn their backs on him, right? That, that Jesus was actually right this whole time. Like, listen, like, you think you need more evidence, but it's a heart issue. It's not about evidence. It's just that we naturally kind of were rebellious against God, right? It's, it's a heart issue. 
So I, I would point out that, that there might be things in your life, all right, that maybe you, you got hang-ups, right? You got like questions like, why would God allow this? Or why does it say this in the Bible? Or, you know, what, what's this all about? And I know that those are a reality, right? That Jesus had people ask him questions. And I would love to be able to answer some of your questions, all right? Because a lot of times, right, God's already made plain, you know, what the answer to your question might be, right? So a lot of people, they get like hung up on different areas of, of who they think God is or, how, or what someone told them, you know, God was like. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding. So if you ever wanted to, you know, talk to me at the end of a gathering or shoot me an email, call me, right? My phone number's on the website. Uh, the, I would gladly help walk you through some of that, right? Jesus wasn't afraid to answer questions, okay? But, but I would point out that there's a chance that if you have yet to take your step to pursue God, right, to love God and obey him, there's a chance that you already have all of the evidence that you need, is what this is saying, right? That, that God has already given you enough to take the first step, Right? We're not saying like, you know, go sell your house, go to the mission field, preach the gospel, and then die at the end of your life. Like, no, no, no. Like, you take one step at a time, okay? And, and you refusing to take that step, you won't ever get more reality of God displayed to you. He won't reveal himself anymore. Like, it, it, takes, it takes that one step, and he will make himself real to you as you continue to pursue him. All right, that's, that's the idea here. So, so I would encourage that, like, you know, stop making excuses if that might be the case. So, so Jesus said that, right, he would reveal himself to the people who keep his commands and love him. Verse 22, back in, uh, in Mark 12. No, I'm in John 14. I lied, I'm sorry. Right, here we go. We got, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him. So Judas is asking a follow-up question. I like this, that it has to clarify, not the Iscariot guy, right? Not, not Judas the betrayer. No, 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 the, the good Judas, right? And I feel bad for this guy like Judas because, I mean, think about it. He was an apostle, and after everything went down, right, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, and Jesus comes back from the dead and all that. Like, he was an apostle, right? So maybe you'd be, like, traveling around to churches, and people would be like, oh, who's preaching at your church this weekend? Oh, Judas is. Ugh. Like, no, 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 the good Judas. Like, this guy, like, he's just got poor advertising. I feel bad. But, uh, but this is what he ends up saying. He says, okay, he's got a question. Okay, so Jesus just said he would reveal himself to the person who loves God and obeys him, right? So he asks, Lord, how is it that you will manifest or make real yourself to us and not to the world? How does that work? How are you like going to selectively reveal yourself to people, but how is everyone not going to see you? I don't understand this, right? And that's what people are like, well, if God is real, then shouldn't we all, shouldn't it be obvious to all of us? But that's not what he actually said. He makes himself real to those who love him and obey him. Somehow he's He's selectively revealing himself. And this is actually something that we see, uh, before I give you Jesus' answer in this instance, I'm going to give you some of his answers in other instances. I don't know if that's actually helpful or not, but that's what I'm doing. So, so the idea is that the revelation that he gives will not be a physical manifestation, but it is no less a real revelation of who he is. Okay, Jesus said this in, in John 18, that my kingdom is not of this world. All right, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not like a kingdom that my disciples are going out and fighting battles for and defending me. He's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not like that sort of kingdom. Or in Luke 17, he said this, when asked of the, the Pharisees, he said, when the kingdom of God should come, right, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that it can be observed. It's not like a visible observation. 
He even says this, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the way the kingdom of God has come isn't like, oh, Jesus just walked out the door. You guys missed him. Go, go find him, right? He's right there, right? Or like, or we're going to go visit Jesus, right? We're going to go over to New Hampshire or what? Like, I heard he's over there. No, no, no. The kingdom is not some visible manifestation. The kingdom of God is in our midst, right? It's, it's, it's around us. It's within us if you've already become a part of his kingdom, right? Not to somehow like subdue or like paint the reality. It, it, it's, it's 100% real, okay? Like it's not like something we're making up, all right? Just so you're aware. Uh, it's, it's a reality that the kingdom of God is, is in our midst. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I like to put it this way, like the kingdom of God is within arm's reach of you. It's at hand, right? Like you are so close to being able to experience God's kingdom, God's presence, God's relationship with you, right? You could, you could, you could do it right now, is the idea. Like it's at hand. And so this is the idea that Jesus will reveal himself specifically, right, to the people that love him and obey him. Let's see, what was Jesus' answer in this instance? Uh, verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. This is what Jesus said. This is what the revelation was going to be like when we love him and obey him, that it would be like home. It would be like God dwelling in you. It would be like God being a part of your life all the time. God wants to be your roommate. He wants to hang out with you all of the time. I almost said todo de los tiempos, like a little bit of Spanish there. All of the time, God wants to hang out with you, all right? That, that, that's what God wants to do. The revelation is that he will be with you. It will be a relationship, and that's what God wants to do. So that's, that's what it's like. God is going to be a part of your life when you start stepping out. And that's what I want to point out is that, that Christianity is not just some belief system or a list of do's and don'ts. It's this relationship with God. That's what it's about. First Thessalonians 5 puts it this way. It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So this is the idea, is that Jesus died. One of the main reasons he died was so that he could hang out with us, that he could be with us whether we are living or we are dead. So it's, something, it's not just something that we look forward to, like, oh, when I die, I get to be with Jesus. No, no, no. He wants to be with you now in this life. That's what... That's what he wants, right? So that Jesus could live with us. I'm going to say this next statement twice. Eternal life is not a place. It is not the pleasure that we experience at that place. It is a person that we get to be with. All right, so eternal life is not just about a place or the pleasure. It is about a person, all right? To verify that, just to make sure, because yeah, eternal life does include heaven, right? It does include, right, us being in a place of comfort and pleasure, right? But, but it's about a person. This is what John 17, 3 said. I've got it up there. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Like, like that's probably not what any of us would have described eternal life to be, right? Like, if I had a survey, like, fill in the blank, like, that's probably not the answer we would typically give, but that's what Jesus described it. He said eternal life is, is knowing God and Jesus. Right? That's, it's about a person. It's about a relationship. 
So knowing God is what eternal life is about. He makes his home in us, right? Being alive with him, whether we're dead or alive, and he will reveal himself to you. That's the idea. And one of the ways we access that is by stepping out to love God and obey him, right? And small steps, small steps. So, so that was the first point I make from this passage the second one, you've probably seen it or maybe felt even uncomfortable about parts of it, is uh, in verses 21, 23, and 24. Check out these statements and let's see if, if all of us kind of feel unsettled. Uh, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Or verse 24, we haven't read yet. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. I actually find it nice that he didn't say, whoever does not keep my words does not love me. He didn't specify that one option, but we're pretty darn close to it. But this is the idea is that, uh, that the love that we have for God eventually produces an obedience in us, okay? And by, by keep his words, don't just be like, man, like I'm pretty sure just yesterday and this morning and five minutes ago, I wasn't keeping his words, right? Like, like you might be like, oh, this isn't good, uh, which cat does that mean I, I guess I don't love God? Like, what does that mean, right? And, and this is a matter of practice. It's not a matter of perfection, right? It's a matter of aim and intent and motive that when we pursue God, this is what we shoot for is keeping his commands. And I'm not talking about commands in terms of legalism of us like, you know, can I just try to like do enough good that I can earn his favor and his love because we already have his favor and his love. And inclusive in those commands are the commands, right, to uh, believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. So, so, like, that's a command that should hopefully be easier to obey rather than us thinking of, like, all right, do I do, do, I do right? Do I do wrong? What am I doing? It includes repenting for our sin when we're wrong and receiving his complete forgiveness. So, so don't just try to put this in a category of, you know, the big ten commandments or whatever. Uh, it includes all of it. But this is the idea. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That we obey not out of obligation, but out of love. All right, we obey not out of obligation, right? We're not obeying God because maybe God will love me if I do this, right? Or maybe God will let me into heaven if I do enough of this, right? It's not about like, and, and this is hard, and I understand, right, that, that sometimes from the outside looking in, people think like Christians are just like, well, they've just got their checklist, like, oh, went to church, right? I gave to his kingdom, right? I, I prayed today. I read my Bible, and like they, they just see it as, as like an obligation, but that's actually not at all what it's about. It's, it's, it's obedience that comes out of love, it's obedience that comes out of love, not obligation. And what's cool about that love is that we don't love out of our own greatness. It's not like we can boast and be like, look how much I love God. Right? Like, I'm so amazing. Like, no wonder God loves me. Like, I, you guys are all terrible, but I'm amazing. Like, God obviously wants me to hang out with him forever. I'll sit at his table at the cafeteria for lunch, right? Like, he wants me there. No, 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 no. Like, it's not that, like, our love is some amazing thing to boast about. We love in response to his love, right? We love in, in reciprocity to his love, right? This is, this is what it says, 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. You can look up propitiation later, but as a payment, right, for our sin. He paid the debt price 
for the wrong that we did. It's about his love for us, not about my love for him, right? Or First or John four nineteen, a few verses later says, we love because he first loved us, right? Our love is in response to his love, right? And like I said earlier, God is easily the most lovable person because, right, of the way he's greatly displayed his selflessness and sacrifice in order to to renew relationship with us, right? It's, it's not like he's some jerk and it's like, oh, I guess I got to love this guy, right? No, no, no. Like he's, he's amazing to be able to love and have relationship with him. And out of that love comes obedience, all right? Out of that love comes trust where we will learn to keep his commandments because we just like, wow, like all of his commands anyway are for our good, I, th- I think that's Deuteronomy 6, one of the passages there that's talking about what Jesus quoted. Later on, it says that, that the commands that God gave are for our good, right? So it's like, eventually, I'm just like, man, like, even if I was out of selfishness or whatever, like, obeying God is what makes the most sense, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, it's for my best interest to obey him, right? It just makes sense. And, and, and one of the things I'll point out is that, that we get to be friends with Jesus. We get to be friends with God. Like, this is pretty cool, right? We get to have a communion with the Holy Spirit, right? That we get to partake in relationship with him. But loving God and having relationship with him is, is different than other friendships, right? Like, when you, when you, like, hang out with your best friend, you're not like, hey, let's be best friends forever. I'm going to obey you now. Like, that's not how these friendships work, right? Or, or when you met your spouse, you're not like, okay, like, you know, I, I love you, I'll be married to you, and I guess I'm going to obey you now. Like, that's, obedience is not a part of our relationship, right? There's, there's submission to one another, there's respect, right? There's love and trust, right? But, but obedience is, is part of our friendship with God because even though, like, he'll be your best friend, at the end of the day, he's still God, right? right? It's not like he's like, you know, it's not like we can be like, I don't know, God, maybe we should change some of the stuff you wrote in the Bible. Like, I think that'd be pretty cool. Like, yeah, that's a good idea, Brian. Like, no, no, no. Like, he's still God at the end of the day. He's got better ideas than you and I have, right? He knows what's up. Uh, so, so at the end of the day, obedience is part of that relationship, okay? Uh, so, so here's the, this purpose for us, right? That we, God's made a spirit, soul, and body. We have a spirit so that we can live eternally with God. Right? We have a soul, our mind, our will, and emotions so that we can, we can relate to God, that we can understand things, right? We can be, understand and study the world that he's made for us, that we can uh, communicate with him, right? That we can discover more about who he is. And he's given us a body that we can then live out the life for the calling that he's given us, right? That we can actually walk out and do the things that he's called us to do, that we, in our bodies, can bring him glory and obey him. Right? That's, that's God's design and purpose for us. The last passage that I'm going to read from is, is back in Mark 12. It's, it's a question that was earlier than the previous one. And it's Mark 12, 13, and it's another group of people asking him questions. And, uh, and this is going to reveal, it's, it's, perhaps you would think it's unrelated, but completely ties in. It says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So this next question is, is disingenuous. It's not someone who's like, you know, like struggling to seek God, 
These people are just like looking for an excuse to kill Jesus, right? You know, sometimes people, like I said earlier, have legitimate hangups. And then other people, they're just looking for like an excuse so that they don't have to pursue God. And that's what category these people were in. Verse 14, it says, and they came to him and said, seems like a little bit of flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. So these guys are like a little bit flattering there. Um, but actually everything they say here is true about Jesus. So it's not, it's not like just empty flattery. This is all true about Jesus. And I think it's actually less about flattery in what they were trying to do, as you'll see in the question in a moment, is that they were trying to publicly remind everyone, remember how Jesus isn't like persuaded by other people? Remember how he doesn't give in to the crowds? Right? He's not influenced by the Roman government. Right? He just speaks the truth of God, and he doesn't care if people disagree with that. Right? He's willing to just present the truth. So they're, they're trying to like remind everyone, because now they're going to try to trap him in his words. Because like, based on how he might answer, they might be like, see, he does care what people think, or he can't go against the grain of what everyone else might say. So, so that's what they're trying to trap him in. And actually, I find this interesting that they said that you do not care about anyone's opinion. This is actually a true statement about Jesus. Uh, and the reason the Pharisees are saying it is because they've experienced and encountered this in the past. Jesus was hanging out. I think it was at a dinner party. There were some Pharisees there. And Jesus tells a parable, and it's literally against the Pharisees. And, like, the room, you know, just imagine, like, the awkward silence of, like, uh, and, like, his disciples kind of lean over to Jesus. Like, Jesus, what you just said was really offensive to the Pharisees. And you know what Jesus did? Nothing. He didn't, he didn't apologize. He didn't apologize for the truth, all right? Like, he tells the truth in love, all right, but doesn't apologize for it. He's like, listen, this is, this is true, right? He's, he's willing to, he, he values speaking the truth over, you know, telling what would be a potentially a, an empty lie, make someone feel better about themselves, right? Uh, and, and that's not to say that, right, he's walking around and his keychain has, like, attitude written on it or whatever, right? Like he's not that kind of person. Uh, and, and if you uh, offend someone and it's not because you spoke the truth in love, but because it's your own flesh attitude or your own behavior, yeah, you should repent for that and apologize to the person, right? So this isn't saying like, let's just, you know, run around, do whatever we want because we don't care what people think. Uh, it's just when it comes to whether or not we tell the truth, we're not going to value their opinion over what God says. Um, so, so here, here's what he says. All right. Or this was what the question was. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right. You might think like, that's not that tough of a question. I don't understand. Like that's, I don't think that's even going to be a question on like the 2016, like campaign debates. Like, I don't think like they're going to be talking about this. Like, this isn't what we've been wrestling with, right? Like this isn't, I don't don't, don't, know. What's the big deal? And, And the deal is that the people of Israel, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire was the reigning authority, right? They were suppressing these people. And the people of Israel, they were hoping for the Messiah, which was prophesied about in the Old Testament, right? Which this Messiah is still to come, this reigning king Messiah who would establish a new government. That's what they were hoping for. They were like, oh, maybe like the Messiah is going to come and get rid of this tyranny and then like reestablish us to like a theocracy again. Right? That's what they were hoping for. And so the, the Pharisees knew that that's what the crowds wanted. 
So if Jesus disagrees with them, he's going to lose the crowd. And if Jesus says that we are to not pay taxes, actually in Luke's version of this story, his eyewitness account, that, that it says that they wanted to turn him over to the authorities. They were trying to use this as a means to be like, look at this guy, Jesus. You, you're, the Roman government needs to put this guy down because he starts rebellions, right? He's starting riots. Look at what he's telling the crowds to do. He told them to stop paying taxes, right? He's committing treason, So they're trying to just use this as an excuse. Maybe we can get the Romans to just kill this guy so we don't have to worry about him anymore. So you might think, oh man, Jesus is in quite a trap. Like, how's Jesus going to get out of this one? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So he said, bring me a coin. All right, so I've got a picture of, of what a denarius looks like up there. Right, so bring me a coin. And, and no, he wasn't uh, like, oh man, these questions are getting a little too hot for me. I'm just going to collect an offering now and I'm going to skip on out to the next town. Right, that's not what his plan was. Uh, he, he was making an object lesson. Right, so it wasn't for the crowd to be like, I knew those preachers were just after our money. Like, no, 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 that's, he, he was making an object lesson. And this, is, and this is what he ends up pointing out. And they brought him one in verse 16. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this. Or other translations say, whose image is this? Or whose is this image? And they said to him, Caesar's, right? So like I've got like George Washington on my quarter here, right? Whose image is this, he asks, right? Essentially, who does this belong to? And this is what Jesus says in response is the, the worship team, you guys can come up. Uh, Jesus said to them, render to Caesar, or give to Caesar is what that word render means. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, it is an appropriate and accurate interpretation of this passage that the Jews would have thought that he meant the tithe, right? That, okay, we we pay our taxes to Caesar, and we give a tenth of all of our increase to the temple, right, to support God's kingdom, right? Let's continue to do that. So, So that's likely what right, the, the literal interpretation of this would be. But um, I find an interesting uh, perspective uh, from this guy, Ravi Zacharias. He's like a really cool Christian uh, logician or philosopher. Uh, he's got like a lot of really cool stuff he's got out there. I've got some links of, of his on the bonus content. And this is, this is what he said about this instance. The disingenuousness of the questioner is noticed in the fact that he did not come back with a second question. He should have said, what belongs to God? Right? Like, okay, render, give to, you know, Caesar the things that are Caesar's, give to God the things that are God's. So you might have asked, okay, well, what, what does belong to God? Right? Let's find out where Jesus' stance is on this. And he says, and Jesus would have said, whose image is on you? Whose image do you bear? Right? We, we figured out what belongs to Caesar based on what his picture or what his image was on. But in terms of what belongs to God, he said, would say, you know, whose image is on to you. So give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God that which belongs to God. God's image is on you. And that's been the whole premise of this series, that we are made in his image. We are made for God's glory and for his purpose. Right? So it's not like I could just conveniently say, well, maybe I'll just give God 10% and then I'll go do with myself the rest of whatever I want to do. Right? Like, no, 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 no. God doesn't want our money. He wants all of us. 
He wants our hearts. He wants all of our lives. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he's pursued us to the degree that he was willing to die, that he could make that happen. Right? That he could just be with us when we're here on earth and after we die, that he could be with us. So that's what God pursues. And because of his great sacrifice, he's worthy for us to give what belongs to him. That's us. So before we uh, go into these last three songs, I want to point out again that we have communion today. Uh, and it's something that's done in, in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Right? The, it's just bread and grape juice. The bread represents his body that he broke for us. And the juice represents the blood that he shed that we could be forgiven. And it's something that Jesus had started the night before he died at the Last Supper. Okay, And one of the things I'd point out is that we do this in thankfulness to him. Right? Gracious that he would forgive us. And it's, it's important that we do this with right hearts before God. Right? That we don't harbor any unforgiveness. Right? That, that we aren't unrepentant regarding our sin. Right? So wherever you are in your relationship with God, before you go and take communion, all right, during these last three songs, just find time to get your heart right with him. And if maybe you're someone who's never right, trusted Jesus for salvation, that is something that you can make the decision to do today. And it's not like you have to talk to me, like I can't like wave a wand and make you a Christian. It's something that you just, between you and God, just admit your need for him as your savior. Right? Say, God, I've sinned. I repent. Forgive me. And I believe in the sacrifice you made that I could be forgiven and that you rose from the dead that I will likewise be risen on the last day. Right? So it's, it's as simple as that. So I encourage you to do that uh, during these last three songs and let's pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have made us in amazing ways. That you've given us the ability to, to live with you, to be with you, to understand and communicate and relate with you and, and you've given us the ability to serve you in the body that you've given us. And we, we thank you, Lord, that you're not looking for individuals merely to obey you, but you pursue us out of relationship. You desire to be with us on an individual basis, that you want to make your home with us. So God, in any areas of our lives where we've held back, where we maintain our own will to do things our own way, God, we yield that to you. Make your home with us, God. Lord, we belong to you. And so we give our lives to you and we ask that, uh, that you would just be glorified in the way that we live. And we thank you that we have been made in your image and that we can bring glory to you in everything we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.